0: For the trumpeting triumph, down here on the mountain. For the trumpeting triumph, for the... Man, everybody, welcome back to the Remnick Call. I am your host, Brother Frank, and we are back for another exciting episode tonight, Zechariah Part Three, folks. If you haven't heard Part One and Part Two, you're missing out, and I can guarantee you, you are not hearing this in your churches out of the pulpits coming from the United States today, because the Book of Zechariah, uh, it well for many, it's Old Testament, so it doesn't apply anymore, and who really cares? We just live in the New Testament. Unfortunately, it's actually one book, and we need to remember that. And Brother Benjamin has been digging deep into the book of Zechariah. This is an end-time book. This is a book for the remnant. This is a book for those who want to know exactly what's going to happen in the last days. All the prophets of the Old Testament wrote about what was going on in their day and what is going on in the end of times. The things that happened to Israel, they were for us, for the, those they were written for an example to those of us who from the ends of the earth shall come. The word of God was written, actually a major piece was written for us to who are living in the last days. This is a good time to start getting really Serious about the Word of God. And we're going to bring Brother Benjamin on here in just a second. Please, like I said, check out Zechariah Part 1, Part 2, and tonight is going to be Part 3. And also, as I mentioned the other week, if you missed When the Ground Gets Holy, folks, please, that is a message for the remnant. Also, this is the last days. We are, you know, we don't, nobody actually knows the day of the hour, folks. Nobody on this program is going to predict a day or the hour or the we don't know for sure. We see the times and seasons, but I'm just going to tell you right now. You could wake up any day in the very near future and your life would be changed forever and you will look back with regret wishing I would have done something different. I would have gotten serious now. Folks, that is not how God wants us to live. He wants us to live in the ready, because like it or not, okay, you have a job to fulfill, and that's to warn the people and to share the good news of Jesus' second coming. Folks, the best thing you can do for somebody is share the Lord with them. That's what's going to get them through this hour coming, and we need to be ready for ministry because when this thing collapses, people are going to be hungry and looking, and God needs a people that are ready to work, and is that going to be you? Well, I'm going to let you wrestle with that question, and I'm not going to hesitate anymore. I'm bringing on Brother Benjamin. Let's get this program going. Brother Benjamin, are you here with us?
1: Well, hello, Frank.
0: Amen, brother. Thanks for coming back on. I am glad you're here. This Zachariah, Benjamin, I, don't, I, I feel so bad for people who ignore all this, this wonderful wisdom that the Old Testament, which has really the detailed instructions of the last days contained in it. And just miss, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a relic of the past, yet God's telling us exact details. And Benjamin, I know that you have some stuff to share with us tonight. So, brother, why don't you just lead us out in prayer and take us where you want to go with this.
1: Well, amen. And um, to our listeners, please... Agree with us in prayer. Father, thank you today, Father, that there is hope and there is salvation, there's life, there is healing in Jesus. Father, I thank you that through your great love for your people, you sent your Son, our King our Messiah, our friend, our brother. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we lift up this time and we ask that you would bring forth the real word of your choosing. Lord, I I have nothing. They're your people, Lord. They come to hear from you. And, Lord, I look to you as well. We are all waiting for you, God. So we ask, Father, by, by your mercy and your grace, That through your Holy Spirit, you would bring forth the living word, bring forth the revelation of the King of kings, our Messiah, our Savior, our friend, the Lord Jesus Christ. We consecrate this time in Jesus' name unto you, Father, for the edification of your people and the deliverance of your remnant. In -hmm. Jesus'
0: name I pray, amen. 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 Well, Benjamin, God, please, brother. brother. Amen. Share with us what the Lord's got on your heart. It uh, seems like every week we are just, it's like we're getting to the edge, and now the toes are literally hanging off.
1: I know. It's so fun. I mean, it's like every day is an adventure with the Lord. And, you know, it the world is soon going to be in such turmoil. And you mentioned no man knows the day or the hour, and you know, and that's a Hebrew idiom that pertains to the feast days of uh, the Feast of Trumpets, where even if you thought you could circle the day with your calendar, you really had to wait for the new moon to appear and be certified by the high priest. And only then would you know that the day of trumpets, Yom Torah, had begun. And so you know, that, a lot of people misquote that verse, and they interpret that to mean nobody can know anything That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture means, quite literally, we will not know precisely the day or the hour. Yes. And so, you know, we will definitely know the season. And, of course, you know, the Lord told us, when you see the fig tree, you'll know that summer's near and I'm standing at the door and the days are at hand. And so, you know, here we are in the 70th year of the fig tree. And, of course, the news is... It's amazing how the evening news... Really sounds like a prophecy program now, right? Hell, we're talking yeah. war with Russia and war in the Middle East, and, and you know, pretty much the nations are are enraged, and so are the people. You know, the the people are divided, the nations are divided, the waves are being lifted up, the seas are roaring, and you know, the the word is coming to pass right before our eyes, and you know, I'm just reminded of. Jesus' admonition to us that when you see these things, lift up your eyes, look up to the coming of the Lord. Because you know, if we focus on what's coming upon the earth, we will be tempted to become afraid of the things in the flesh, and you know, and and being afraid of what is coming upon the earth cannot protect you. You're not safer if you're afraid. You know, you don't get protected by fear you know fear actually betrays your faith it it robs you of your faith it robs you of your peace and your joy and you know the truth as jesus said not one of us with all of our effort and all of our anxiety and all of our worry you know we can't add one more minute to our life past the point where the lord decrees that our time is up we can't put one more Strand of hair in our head now, some of us wish we could add a few strands of hair, but the point being, we can't change anything. Yeah. We have, we have so really we have such little power.
0: You know, You know it's interesting, Benjamin I was thinking about that. Have, if you've noticed lately, and, and, and forget the obsession with liberalism and all that, but have you noticed that the media is really obsessed with about two major things, and that's sex and war? We are obsessed with these things constantly. And, and Benjamin, if we were talking about this, you and I, earlier, or was it yesterday, I don't remember, about the collapse has already fully happened spiritually. It's over. It's, we've collapsed as a country, as a nation. Our obsessions are so filthy. And, and a lot of people are, well, they're still looking to the future for the collapse. Well, there's a physical one coming, but we've already collapsed. And it's appalling.
1: Yes, it truly is appalling. And thank God he's about to deal with it. Amen. And the day is coming when... You know, as Moses said to the Israelites, you will never see the Egyptians again. So it will be said unto the remnant, when it's time to depart into the wilderness, to the place prepared by the Lord, you will never have to see the wicked again. And actually, that will be a good day. That our souls will not be vexed. But praise God. Let's, Let's get into the text. And uh, Zechariah, we ended part two with Zechariah 4 and verse 14 when we were told, these are the anointed ones that stand by the Lord. And, and I want to pick up from there. In Zechariah 4, verse 12, we were told, that, or the angel actually gave Zechariah a question. And said, you know, what are you know, what are these... Or pardon me, it was Zechariah who asked the question, What are these olive branches? Who are these branches that, are, that have these golden pipes that are pouring out this oil? This oil is coming out like a river. Who are these? And the angel said, Knowest not what these be? You, know, you don't know. You, you, you can't discern this, Zechariah. And he answered, No, my Lord. And the angel answered, These are the two anointed ones who stand by. The side of the Lord of the whole earth, and this literally means they are standing in the presence of the Lord. This isn't figurative. I know some people have said, "Well, this is a mystical picture of the Jewish, you know, and, and the Gentile um, church and the, you know, Israel under the old covenant and Christianity under the new." and Well, fine, you can make a type in a shadow out of everything, but that's not the fulfillment of this scripture. This is literal. There will be two anointed ones who are going to be revealed to the people. They're going to be revealed to the earth. They're going to come to minister and pour out the anointing without measure for the healing of the remnant. And all of the remnant will be healed. There is not a single person who's going to be part of the remnant who will have any affliction, any disability. God is going to heal everything. And, and at the same time, the same anointing is going to bring the judgment upon the wicked. You know, our God is a consuming fire. And when we've been transformed by the blood of Jesus into the very righteousness of God, when that fire water, which is... Shemaim, which is the, the meaning of the word heaven in Hebrew, and it literally means the water that is on fire in the heaven above us, and it's the very presence of our God, who himself is a consuming fire, and is at the same time a living water, a fountain of living water, which is the Holy Spirit, and this water is on fire. And when the fire water comes upon the elect of God, for us it feels good. It's like stepping into a jacuzzi, and you're filled with the peace and the joy and the awesome magnificence of the presence of the Lord. But that same fire, that very same presence of God, it burns the wicked to the bone. So the Lord is coming. Blessings and judgment. He's coming with fire. Fire to purify, fire to cleanse, fire to bless. And I I remember... The Lord granted me the extraordinary privilege of of being in the Holy of Holies. And I remember the anointing growing and growing and growing until finally it was as if I was on fire and I was crying out in pain, Lord, you're scaring me, I'm burning. And it was really beginning to hurt. And I remember the Lord saying, you never thought you'd have to pray for that. Now did you? And and beginning to laugh. And I, I heard the Lord laugh. And he has the greatest laugh I have ever heard. So full of joy. Everything about the Lord is so perfect and so beautiful. But here the two anointed ones are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. And he's come as the God of eternity who's come to bring his judgment upon the earth. And first that judgment comes in the church. And so let's transition to Zechariah 5. And... You know, at the time that the witnesses have been anointed, and, and you remember Joshua, who represents the high priest, and, and as we'll see from the text, represents one, or or I guess as a type, both of the two witnesses. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, but now has been sanctified and cleansed and now anointed, and he's one of those branches that the, the, the root, if you will, comes out of the root and now the golden oil is pouring out and and now the judgment is ready be, to begin and in Zechariah 5 we are p- given a picture of the condition of the land in the time of the judgment and the very first thing that happens Zechariah says I turned and I lifted up my eyes and I look and behold a scroll flying in the heavens the word of god was literally being broadcast if you will, flying through the heavens. And the angel said, what do you see? And, and Zechariah answered, I see a, a scroll flying. The length is 20 cubits and the breadth 10. And the angel said to me, this is the curse that is going forth over the face of the entire earth. For everyone that steals will be cut off, according to the writing on one side. And everyone that bears false witness or swears shall be cut off as according to the other side. And I will bring it forth, saith the Lord. How does the curse operate? The Lord brings it forth. And it will enter the house of the thief, and the one who steals, and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name, and it will remain in the midst of that house. And it shall consume that house with the timber thereof, and the stones thereof. This curse will not only consume or burn up the timbers, it burns up the very stones. And and the curse comes upon two groups of people, those who steal and those who swear falsely or bear false witness in the name of the Lord. They take an oath falsely. They lie and they deceive. And that word for sweareth is shaba, And it literally means to complete or to seven oneself. To... Repeat a declaration seven times, which was the ritual in ancient times, to evidence that your statement was absolute truth, to swear that it was the truth. So it doesn't mean using a swear word, but rather to declare something as an oath or, or to bind oneself to a contract or a promise and to literally do so in the name of the Lord, according to the perfection of God. And then, if to do so falsely is really a defilement, it will bring the curse, will bring utter destruction. And then the angel, I'm in verse 5 of Zechariah 5, then the angel that that talked with me went forth, and he said unto me, Lift up your eyes now, and see what is going forth. And I said, What is this? Zemashah zemashah. And the angel said, this is an ephah, a measure of grain that goes forth. It's a measure, a unit of measure. And moreover, he said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. What resemblance? This is the resemblance of the curse. This, people, is what the curse looks like. When you see this, you can know you are witnessing the curse that God has declared according to the word that has been delivered unto all people. And behold, there was lifted up a talent, a measure of lead, a huge lead like a a manhole cover. And there was a woman that sat in the midst of the ephod. And the ephod, think of it as a huge basket of grain, large enough that a woman could be sitting right in the middle of the basket of all of this grain. And the angel said to Zechariah, This is wickedness. This is evil. And he cast it into the midst of the ephod, and he cast the weight or the, the talent of lead upon the top or the mouth thereof. This is a picture of the false church at the end of the age. It's a picture of the final falling away where the church is now pictured as, if you will, the woman Babylon. Babylon the great, the great harlot. It's the religious manifestation of the falsehood and the deception of Babylon, where the people have fallen away to the point where the church itself now has become wicked. And this is the resemblance of the judgment. When the people turn to stealing the money... When they make false declarations in the name of the Lord, and they teach falsehood in the name of God, and they teach an incomplete gospel in order to please the itching ears of the crowds, so that the mega church will show up with a mega tithe offering, so the pastor can live in a mega house, and with a lifestyle befitting of a king, this is the resemblance of the curse. This is a picture of the apostate church at the end of the age. And then I lifted up my eyes, and I looked, and behold, there came out two women. And the, wing, the wind was in their wings, and that word for wind is ruach, and it means the spirit. The spirit power was in their wings, and they had the wings of a stork. And a stork is an unclean bird. So here what we've got is two women that are empowered to lift up the false church, and the spirit that is at work in them is an unclean bird, an unclean spirit. Evil spirits have brought this apostasy into what was once the Church of God. And they lifted up the ephod, and they lifted up the woman mystery Babylon, the false religious manifestation of of Babylon the Great between the earth and the heaven. And so the false church has been lifted up above the people. And the entire Laodicean doctrine is a doctrine of We are the priesthood, and you are the laity. You are the common people, and we are the holders of the light. We're the enlightened ones who will interpret the will of God for you. You just give us your money, and we'll teach you the mysteries of the Scripture, and we'll be the the go-between, between you and God. And so the false church lifts up this false priesthood. And all of this is wickedness, and so it is lifted up between the earth and the heaven. And you, you notice that the, the picture of the individuals involved, it's, it's women. And I'm not trying to be critical of women. I'm just commenting on the scripture. And, and you know, the woman in the scripture tells us that Eve was deceived. Adam willingly disobeyed. Eve actually got tricked by the serpent. She was under deception. And so, too, the women that are part of the false church movement and this you know, false anointing, the satanic spirits that have invaded much of the so-called spirit-filled churches. And in today's world, the spirit-filled churches need the spirits cast out. The spirits that they're full of, you know, our, our every unclean bird, as it says in, in Revelation 17. You know, but this was all lifted up by women without discernment. And they, no doubt, the, the apostate church believes that it's right. The church operating under demonic spirits believes that what they're doing is of God. And they've got manifestations. And they have an anointing. And they've got power. You know, many will come in my name, Jesus said, and say, I am anointed. And you know what? They're not really lying. But who anointed them? And which father do they serve? You know, many false prophets have come to deceive many. And the word means the vast majority. You know, in this hour, there are many wi- you know, people who declare themselves to be watchmen or newsmen. And they deceive many. And who sent them? You what know, the Lord says many false prophets would come, who sent those false prophets? did they just simply come on their own accord, or did another send them? you know are they of the their father the devil, you bet they are and here the picture is they've been lifted up between the earth and the heaven, you know and i I think of you know the satellites that are beaming down all of this all these different versions of apostate Christianity, and where is the real presence of the Lord? Anyway, sad. That's a whole other teaching. Then said I to the angel, you know, where are they bearing the ephah? Where is this measure of grain that is full of wickedness? It's a measure of wickedness. It appears to be prosperity, a huge measure of grain, and yet in that, Prosperity, there's spiritual wickedness. And the power behind it, unclean spirits are at work. And so this is the apostate church. And where are they taking it to? They lifted it up in order to transport it and to build it a house in the land of Shinar, which is the land of Babylon, which is the land of America, Babylon at the end of the age. So the apostate church was lifted up first in America, Babylon. And And from these satellites that they built, they broadcast its deception all over the earth. Now, no doubt there are legitimate Christian programs that have been on television. I'm not trying to say that every Christian ministry that was ever broadcast on a satellite is somehow part of the apostasy, but I think the answer would be many of them are part of the apostasy. And that word in Greek would be polis, and it would mean the vast majority of it. And, you know, the apostasy is not readily apparent. You know, if Satan's deceptions were obvious, they would be ineffective. So the apostasy looks like a real revival. They preach the name of Jesus. And sometimes you can't even discern what the problem is. I recall once, a friend of mine invited me to a Bible study, and I just knew something was wrong. He was a recent newborn Christian, and he had told me he had joined a Bible study at his school, and the hair on the back of my neck went up. And I just thought, I've got to go check this out. And and as I was walking to this Bible study, I was so full of the anointing; it was as if I was walking on clouds. And as soon as I got to the room where the Bible study was taking place, soon as I walked in the door, it was just a huge quench of the Spirit. I came right out of the anointing. And I thought, Lord, what did I do? You know, did I, I thought something was wrong with me. I must have just had some sin I didn't know about. And I offended the Lord. And I was completely perplexed. And I listened to a Bible study that, see, on the surface was doctrinally correct. And after the meeting ended when I left that building, as soon as I walked out of that doorway, my anointing returned. And that's when I went, okay, something seriously satanic is going on with these people. And later it was all uncovered. But, you know, you guys, a number of people have been writing me emails lately telling me, Benjamin, I had discernment. I knew something wasn't right. I knew there was a problem. I had a check in my spirit. You guys know who you are. You know, I had multitudes writing me emails. Every one of them said, you know, I just didn't want to say anything. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you from this day forth, you say something. If you discern something in the Spirit, you speak up. You don't hold your peace. If there's a problem, you know, bring it forth. And you know what? If we discern wrong, you know, if we have a check and it turns out, okay, maybe it was, you know, not correct, that's fine. It's okay. You know, more often than not, if you've got a check in your spirit, there's a reason. You feel a a hindrance. You discern the hand of the enemy at work. You're discerning the wind of the women whose wings are unclean. You're picking up the operation of the enemy, and it's operating in the land of Shinar, which is the land of America, Babylon, and there it has been established. It's been, you know, enthroned, if you will, it is in control. It, you know, that word actually is kun, and it means to be erected and to be confirmed and to be perfected. And the apostate church has been perfected in America Babylon. And I'll tell you some clues, you guys. Okay, first of all, blue is the color of the oyster cult, all right? And it's the color of the spirits of deception. The religious demons, the occult spirits, the most powerful demons come with the color of like an aqua blue, a blue light. So, you know, when you see Christian worship and it's all draped in this blue fluorescent light, right there you know, okay. You know, the worship of God, we don't need bizarre lighting. It's it's not solical, it's spiritual it's not tones of rebellion. It is based on the spirit of peace and worship. That's a subject for another day when we do our spiritual warfare teaching. But I want you guys to know, when you're discerning something, you know, take notice. Don't dismiss it. Don't think, oh, well, it was just me. No, it wasn't just you. And you guys, we've got to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. When you have those moments of discernment, don't just dismiss it. Don't ignore that, because it's real, and that is the Holy Spirit bearing witness in your spirit that you need to take note. Something's not quite right in Denmark. Praise God. Let's move on to Zechariah 6. And I turned and lifted up my eyes. Hallelujah. And I looked, and behold, there came four chariots out from behind two mountains, And the mountains were made of brass, and that word for brass means judgment. And so here we're being shown two mountains that represent the judgment of the Lord, and chariots are coming forth. Chariots representing first red horses, and then black, and then third white horses, and then fourth gristled or bay. And You know, perfect typology to the four horsemen of the of the book of Revelation, only here they're pictured as chariots. It's a double judgment. And so the horses are two, the mountains of judgment are again doubled. You know, and as I've taught for many, many years, the word of God is repeated. You know, the, the scripture says every word of truth will be confirmed by two or more witnesses. And so, if you have a dream, or somebody gives you a prophetic word, or, you know, you get some insight, or whatever, you know, don't dismiss it, don't throw it in the trash, you know, but at the same time, don't accept it until it's been confirmed by two or more witnesses. Well, God places his own word subject to the commandments of his word, and according to the word of the Lord... Every word of God must be confirmed by two or more witnesses. Well, how is the word of God confirmed? It is confirmed because it is witnessed in being fulfilled in the earth at least twice. That's one of the reasons why every word of God is fulfilled at least twice. There's always a spiritual application. There's always an application in the created realm. And with with respect to prophecy... As we've seen time and again, there was a a historic fulfillment and then a, a final fulfillment. And as Frank cited, all these prophetic writings spoke to the generation to which they were originally given, and they all speak again at the end of the age. Another example of the Word of God being witnessed and fulfilled twice. And so here we have two mountains of brass representing the double judgment of God, through which the Word of God will be fulfilled twice in the... Historic, and then last day's judgment of the Lord, pictured as chariots, and first we have the red horses, and we know the red represents war, and followed by the black horses, which represent the economic devastation that follows a war. The white horses, of course, in the book of Revelation, represent the false government that appears to be good, but in fact is doing evil. And then in this Zechariah chapter 6, we have the fourth chariot with gristled and bay, which are colored horses that are spotted with red. And then Zechariah answered and said unto the angel, What are these, my lord? And the angel said, These are the four spirits of heaven, which go forth standing before the Lord of all the earth. And the black horses which are therein, they go forth into the north country. And the white went forth after them. And the gristled go forth towards the south and the gristle being spotted with red and white. And the bay went forth and sought to go, that they might walk to and fro through the earth. And he said, Get your hands walk and go through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. Then he cried he upon me and spoke unto me, saying, Behold, these that go towards the north have quieted my spirit in the north country. And, you know, it's... I'm not sure... I discern all the deep meaning in these verses but I find it interesting that the black horse went to the north and of course you know north of Israel ultimately is is what is today known as Russia and you know, the black horse represents the famine and the starvation and you know the severe poverty of the people and then in the midst of that poverty the white horse which we know from the book of revelation actually represents the deception of the illuminati It went right after the economic collapse. And and so, you know, the Marxism and the communism of the Russian Revolution, the, the communist revolution, followed a time of economic collapse. And so, you know, the Illuminati Empire first erected itself in communist Russia before it began its conquest of our country. And perhaps that's what this text is referring to in part. And then the scene changes from the manifestation of, of these judgments in the earth to in Zechariah 6, 9, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Take of them of the captivity. Take these men who are part of the captivity of Babylon, even Heldiah, Tobajiah, and Jedahiah, which have come from Babylon, and come to them the same day, and go into the house of Josiah, the son of Jephaniah and take silver and gold and make crowns, and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedech, the high priest. And so, in the midst of the judgment going forth in the first half of Zechariah 6, now the Lord is appointing the leadership, if you will. He's crowning the men that he has appointed over his remnant people. And he says in verse 12, And speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And so we've got the crowning of Joshua, who is now being appointed by God for the role of building the living temple of the Lord. And the scripture tells us he will come forth out of his place. And from there he will go to build the living temple of God. This is actually the ministry of of the one who comes in the office and the anointing of Elijah, who comes to restore the relationships, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the hearts of the children back to their fathers, so that the living temple could be united, so that the people of God would no longer be divided by all of this unforgiveness and roots of bitterness, which Satan has so successfully sown into the lives of the people of God. You know, so many offended today, and you know, the Lord warned us many would become offended and hate one another and betray one another. And and today, I don't have to tell you guys. You know, how many have become offended, and you know, over the littlest things too. Such a spirit of offense, and and in reality, you know, this red horse of war that is coming forth upon our earth. It's first manifesting as a. Spirit of offense, and it's causing war on a relational level. It's causing groups and races and political people to hate one another and to be at war with one another. It's also dividing the families, it's dividing the churches, it's dividing relationships that God wants knitted together. And so Joshua is being crowned as the high priest, and, and he is one, he's a symbol of. The two witnesses, one of whom is Elijah, as prophesied in the book of Malachi. And he will grow up like the, the little branch out of the root of the tree. He will grow up literally out of the life of Jesus. And he comes forth out of his place. And that word for his place in Hebrew, this is so fascinating. It's the word takah, and it means from the bottom as in the place of total depression. That which is below, that which is underneath, that which is the lowest of the low. So here, Joshua, who is the representative of the one who's been, who will be soon revealed among us as the one who came in the office of Elijah, actually came forth from the lowest place of all. And he will build the temple of the Lord. And is that not God's ways that are so above our ways? We would think the one whom the Lord would select and call for this ministry would be some great member of the household of faith. But rather, the Lord takes one of the least of them, and he takes one who is actually bent at the bottom of the barrel, the place of the loss. of Of all things, the life of Job is a picture of the ruin that this individual must first endure. And and I'd like to just read, just for a moment, a, a few excerpts from the book, The Day of the Lord is at Hand, dealing with this scripture and dealing with the individual whom The text describes as Joshua, the man whose name is the branch. And the rabbis, the teachers of Israel, they refer to this coming one prophesied by Malachi as the son of Joseph. They talk about this era that we're in as the time of the great redemption. And um, I'm reading from the writings of Rabbi Yehuda Alkali, who was one of the first Rabbis to be touched by the Lord, who began writing to the Israeli people in the 1800s that the time had come for Israel to prepare to return to the land. And so he wrote, "...the redemption will begin with the efforts of the Jews themselves. We must organize, appoint elders, men of piety, and from among the elders one will come forth who will be revealed." "...as the forerunner of the Messiah, the son of Joseph. And he will appear from among us in the last days, so the people would no longer be sheep without a shepherd." And the Jewish rabbis referred to the one whose name is the branch as the son of Joseph, because they understood from the prophecy that before he would be appointed as the leader of the remnant and the leader of true Israel in the last days... He would first go through a trial of fire, much like Joseph went through, in which Joseph suffered the loss of all things, betrayed by his own brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, arrested, sent into the dungeons of Egypt without hope in the world. You couldn't get lower than Joseph in the prisons of Egypt, having been convicted of essentially defiling the wife of an Egyptian royalty or an Egyptian governor. And so Joseph was brought forth from the place of Takaf, the place of total depression, the place of having lost everything. And thus, Joseph is a, a type and a shadow of coming anointed ones who will be brought forth. Jeremiah speaks of them in chapter 30, verse 21, where he says, And their nobles shall be of themselves, and their governor shall proceed from the midst of them. That's the man whose name is the branch, whom the Lord is crowning as a high priest. He's also going to be appointed as a governor, even as Yosef was made governor over Egypt. And the Lord says in Jeremiah 30, verse 21, And I will cause him, the man whose name is the branch, to draw near to me, and he will approach unto me, they stand in the very presence of the Lord. They are called into the throne room of heaven. And the scripture goes on and says, And who is this that engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? The governor, whom the, the Rabbi Alkali called the son of Joseph, will be lifted up as Joseph and promoted. And he's given the title of governor because... The word mashal, which means to perceive into the deep mysteries and to also be given authority, will apply to his life. You know, the scripture also speaks of the same individuals in Jeremiah 50, verse 44, where the Lord says, Who is this chosen one that I may appoint? And the word in this text is bakar, and it means to try and select one who is acceptable, one who has been appointed. And chosen an excellent one, and of him much will be required. The one chosen by the Lord, who is described as the branch, will stand before the Lord. And he will be called as a shepherd for the flock of the remnant. And the word in Hebrew is ra'ad, and it means to tend a flock as a pastor or a companion, to keep company with the sheep. He comes as a friend of the sheep, even though he's been appointed as a governor, He actually comes as a friend to minister to the people. Hallelujah. We are going to see this event fulfilled in the not-too-distant future. The one whom Jeremiah describes as a governor has been appointed in this hour. And he's actually one who the Scripture describes as the least of the flock. In the natural mind, we would assume that God would select this chosen one from some of the greatest but alas, the ways of the Lord are not the ways of men. The Lord chooses one of the least of them, one who has already been burned in the fires, like the life of Job, and who has suffered, even as Joseph suffered, at the hands of both his brothers and the Egyptians. And the word in this text where the Lord says he will be one of the least of the flock, it's saor, and it means the lowest in value ignoble, the least, or a little one, or one of the youngest, the Lord chooses one of the least from his flock and one of the lowest ones among his saints. For the ones who are in this category, they all know they are nothing without the Lord. Whereas the great men in the household of God, they all think they are something, and therefore they are rejected of the Lord. And he shall build the temple of the Lord with a plumb line of truth in his hand. And the hand of the Lord will be mighty upon him. And his coming among us has been foretold of old. For he comes in the name of the Lord to make straight the way for the people of God. And he shall grow up from out of his place. The place that represents the bottom or the place of total despair and the loss of all things. He comes from an absolute place of the bottom. The lowest place of all, like Job, whose life had been burned in the fire. The men the Lord has chosen for this time are first brought to the end of themselves through years of despair and the loss of all things. Before this one who is called the branch will be lifted up by the Lord, he must first be cast down into the depths of the sea like unto Jonah so that the end of all flesh could come within him. For only then can the life of the Spirit of God set us totally free. You know, and praise God. It goes on in the text in Zechariah 6, verse 13. It says, even he shall build the temple of the Lord. This is not the physical temple with stone. This is the living temple. And the ministry of this one who was so poured out, the ministry of his life will touch and heal many. And he will bear the glory of... Having been cast down to the depths of the sea, the Lord is going to lift him up like he lifted up Joseph in the land of Egypt. And the glory of God will be seen. And he will sit and rule upon a throne. And he will be a priest upon this throne. And the council of peace shall be between, shall be between them both. This is referring to the one who is called the branch and the Lord. They have a council of peace between them. And crowns will be given unto them. Helem, and Tobajiah, and Zediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah, for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. And they that are far off will come, and they will build in the temple of the Lord. And and all of the remnant will contribute to the work as the Lord rebuilds the holiness of Israel and the lives of his remnant people. And you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you And all of this will come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And in just a few minutes that remain, I want to jump over to Psalm 81 and just read a few things regarding the ministry of Joseph and also regarding the diligent obedience required and the blessing that follows those who turn to the Lord with all of their heart. And in Psalm 81, verse 3, we read, Blow the trumpet in the new moon and in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. For this was a statue or a law for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. And this he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the land of Mitzrayim, through the land of Egypt, where I heard a language that I understood not. And, you know, here... God declared that we would blow the trumpet on the new moon to to acknowledge and to announce the coming of the holy days, the coming of the new month, the coming of the feast days. But yet, in the case of Joseph, who was now in Egypt, there was no trumpet. There was no uh, acknowledgement. There was no announcement. This testimony was now in Joseph. It was ordained in his heart. It was only in Joseph's heart that he could hear the sound of the shofar when he saw the new moon rising over the land of Egypt. And the scripture testifies, where I heard a language that I understood not, here the Holy Spirit is literally quoting the words of Joseph in a psalm written by King David 500 years later. Amazing that the Lord captured an actual He quoted Joseph speaking in the land of Egypt for us to read. And the Lord goes on, he says, And I removed his shoulder from the burden, and his hands were delivered from the pots. And so, too, the Lord is going to remove the shoulder of his remnant people from the burden of sin and from the burden of the yoke of the flesh. And their hands will be delivered from the vanity of the things of this world and their hands will be cleansed, and their hands will be appointed to be lifted up in true worship of the Lord. And In verse 10, the Lord says, I am the Lord thy God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth, and I will fill it. And so, too, the Lord will declare unto his remnant, I brought you forth out of all of the nations, and gathered you in my sanctuary. Open your hearts, and I will fill you with truth. Let us not be like the people of old who refused the Lord, verse 11, but my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would have none of me. And what a disaster for the people of Israel. What a disaster for the people who had been called by God. But also, you know, how sad for the Lord. He had done all of this for his people, and they wouldn't listen to his voice people of God would have none of him you know and I think of the Lord telling me I have to ask my church to pray and they won't pray you know what is wrong with the church now pictured in Zechariah chapter 5 it's wickedness that has been dominated by unclean spirits no wonder most of the remnant you know we've been churched enough most of the remnant has come out of the unclean churches Let us be people that hearken to the voice of the Lord. Let us be the people who would have all of the Lord. For those who refuse the Lord, in verse 12, the Lord says, So I gave them up to their own heart's lust, that they would walk in their own counsel. And what disaster that represents Brothers and sisters, if you've ever had any of that type of experience, you know what I'm talking about. That is absolute disaster when the Lord gives you up to your own way. And when he says, fine, you want to have your sin, go have the fill of it. And the end of that road is heartbreak and ruin. Oh, that my people would have hearkened unto me, the Lord says, that Israel would have walked in my ways, and oh, that the remnant would hear his voice even now. For the Lord, in verse 14, says, I would have quickly subdued their enemies. I would have turned my hand against all of their adversaries. And the haters of the Lord would have submitted themselves unto my people, and they would have endured forever And I would have fed them with the finest of wheat, and with the honey out of the rock, I would have satisfied them. And so, you know, that is the portion appointed to the remnant in this hour, to the people that would hearken unto the Lord, and the people that would turn and walk in his ways. The Lord is going to subdue our enemies, and his hand is going to come against all of our adversaries. And those that hate the Lord, they're going to fall on their face in our presence. And we will endure to the end of the age to be there when the sign of the Son of Man appears in the heavens and to hear the final trumpet and to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the sky. And so we will live forever. And from now until then, the Lord will feed the remnant with the finest of wheat and with honey out of the rock. He will satisfy his remnant. So you know, before us we have vanity, death, and utter ruin and, and Literally, the persecution of the beast. Or we have the counsel of the Lord. We have the way of our God. And we have protection. The enemies of God will be subdued. They will be ashes under our feet. And the hand of the Lord will come against all of those that would dare oppose us. And the Lord will provide His remnant with the finest of wheat. And their water shall be sure. And their eyes shall see the beauty of the King. In a distant land. Amen. Amen. Brother Frank, we have a few minutes left.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you just I mean I'm looking forward to that, brother.
1: Yes. Let us be the people who hearken unto the Lord. Let us not be the people that grieve our God.
0: Amen. Amen. No, we got we got some time, Benjamin. I just um you
1: know. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you kind of commented. No, like that. brother, but, I, I, um,
0: had, I couldn't control myself. I had to say amen right there, man. I'm looking forward oh, okay. to it. <laughs> well, I want to see the Lord. I want to see well, the King. Well, praise you know? God, brother. I mean,
1: is that not amazing that here the Lord is basically giving us insight into the ones that he's called as his witnesses? You mm-hmm. know, which, you know, know. which I mean, the two witnesses clearly have a... You know, they've got an important role during the tribulation period. They also have an, an important role in, among the remnant to, to bless and to, to minister and to help build the living temple of the Lord. And then they have a role in the earth to bring and declare the judgment of God among the wicked. So, you know, these guys have an important job, and they've, they've been appointed and anointed by the Lord for a task that is, you know, clearly going to be in a, uh, significant to the whole world. And at the same time, the Lord tells us, well, they're actually from the least of the saints, and I I pulled them out of the very bottom. (laughs) I looked at the lowest place I could in the earth, and um, I grabbed two of the most wretched individuals, but also two people who had literally been completely burned in the fire and who had finally come to the end of their own ways and people who finally bowed at heaven's door and people who I could use without any interruption, without any resistance from the mind of the flesh, let it truly come to the end in the lives of these men, and, you know, we're really all very much the same, you know, we, in our natural mind, you know, we pursue the things of the flesh, and and it seems right in our eyes that we would pursue the pleasures of this life, that we you know, constantly want to be eating the pleasure of food and, and you know, enjoying the wealth and the, and the glory and, you know, and all the things that Babylon loves and, you know, and the church loves all of it as well. And so do we. You know, the, the, those who have the love of the world in them do not love the Father, the Scripture testifies. And so, you know, the Lord has to bring us to the place where we no longer love the things of this world, where they are anathema to us, and when we literally want to die to it, and that we would joyfully pick up our cross and begin to deny our flesh, and also deny the mind of the flesh. You know, the natural man is so full of pride, so convinced his own way is right, you know. Every one of us doing what's right in our eyes, and and every one of them so convinced they're right, the Lord calls all thing wickedness, but in the mind of the remnant and in the mind of the anointed ones, we have no confidence in our knowledge and in the way that seems right to us. We place no confidence in our own understanding. In all of our ways, we acknowledge the Lord, and we cry out for the wisdom and the guidance of our God, because we, see, we know, left to our own device, if we follow our own way, we're probably going to end up in the ditch again. And so we have zero confidence in the mind of the flesh. And in all things we look to the counsel and to the wisdom of our God. Amen. What a blessing to be part of the remnant in this hour. It's been a rough road for those who are in the remnant because they've been through the fires of Job and the persecution of Joseph. And, and, you know, really the persecution of the elect of God have been like doubled. A double portion of persecution was poured out into the lap of the remnant. But it was... Permitted, it was allowed, it was actually done by the Lord that we could be made ready for heaven's finest hour to which we have been called to share
0: a part of. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Benjamin. Praise God. Folks, you know, when you begin to get into this word and, and as talked about over and over again about fasting and prayer, and, and I really want to keep pushing this. Uh, point home, folks, you've got to look into intermittent fasting and what it's like to live this type of a lifestyle. It's not hard. You can throw your diet finally out the window. And literally change the way you live. It's so much easier than trying to stick on some Weight Watchers plan. But actually getting healthy. I remember my dad, Benjamin, was talking to this guy and, you know about living right, and right. He says, it's not always about growing so old. It's about keeping your mind until the end of life. And that's, folks, what we got to do. We want to we our, keep our minds clear in this hour. There's so much fog and smoke. I mean, the fog of Babylon is so thick you could cut it with a knife uh, in this country. There's so much deception, and you need a clear mind and into the Word and into prayer so you can have that spirit of discernment. Like Benjamin said, Benjamin, it, the devil is throwing out everything he can to deceive. Is he not in this hour, even the very elect? He is doing everything he can to try to deceive. Oh, we've got yeah, to have a clear mind. And Benjamin, thank you for sharing this stuff. These are, never, these are not teachings you're going to hear in your church's pulpit. Okay, unless you go to maybe a couple of handful of people in the United States, these are not the teachings you're gonna. But this is end time life giving word comes right out of the Bible. And Benjamin, thank you, brother, for sharing this. Do you have anything you could share just to encourage everybody as we shut this program down tonight?
1: Well, you know, I would just say you've got to be fasting on some level. And if you're not fasting, you know, you're fooling yourself. And also part of the fasting is really to change the diet. Um, you know, a lot of research, the Lord has allowed the truth to come out. There's a lot of medical research on the, the chemical and tr- almost drug-like effects of high fructose corn syrup, and, you know, which are, this stuff is in almost everything that is sold in the grocery stores and in the restaurants of America. It's not just... You know, Mickey D's, fast food, fake burgers. But it's all of this stuff. And it is literally a chemical cocktail. And it's highly addictive. And, you know, we've got a nation of people that are addicted to corporate food-like products that are not actual food. And those products are clouding our brains. They actually cause depression and they cause anxiety and this was all done by design. Look, Satan's attack against the people of God began with food in the garden of Eden and at the end of the age the enemy is once again using food against us. And you of course, right. you know, who would suspect that the you know, scientists working inside these mega corporations would be working for Satan? Who would imagine that the whole world lies in the hand of the evil one? And that the evil one uses these entities, these corporations controlled by these satanic, you know, super-rich families to come up with food alterations that would poison the minds of God's people. And literally are designed to affect the frontal lobe and to literally disrupt the cognitive brain function in the frontal lobe of your mind so that you could not hear the Lord. So, well, what do you, how much would Satan invest in food alterations that would make it almost impossible for the church of God to hear the voice of God? That would be priority one in the camp of darkness. And indeed, that is what they've done. And that's why the Daniel fast, getting on just natural vegetables, fruits and nuts, and getting all that processed garbage, all of it getting it out of your life, that will begin to detoxify and cleanse your mind and, and then begin to go on actual water fast and start detoxing your body. And if you don't understand the science, then you need to get the book by Dr. Joel Furman, F-U-H-R-M-A-N, Medical Doctor, Fasting and Eating for Health. And, you know, in addition, you might as well also get Dr. Furman's book, Fast Food Genocide. And, Frank, maybe we should do a program on the food and we can get into the science but you guys if you would understand what's really going on you would realize why the lord again and again and again keeps repeating to the last generation you must fast and pray well one of the reasons is you have been poisoned and if you want to heal your brain and recover from the debilitating impacts of all these poisons then you have to cleanse your system and How do you clean your system? Well, first of all, stop putting more poison in your system, and then begin to detoxify and get the poison out. And the Lord will restore you. He'll restore your joy. He'll restore your health. And he'll restore to you the ability to hear his voice. And in this hour, that is critical, because if we can't hear the Lord, we're not going to make it five minutes in what's coming
0: Amen. And, and being of a sober mind, folks, is not just from liquor and alcohol and, you know, and drugs. It's it's also of the toxicity of basically it boils down to this. Sugar is killing us. Sugar yep, right. is killing us. Period. End of sentence. There's nothing else to it. And it's amazing what happens when you actually flip that diet and begin to live more on high fats and good fats and everything like that that actually fill you up and keep you full you actually begin to burn fat right from your belly. That's why these diets stop working when you get older, when you begin to live, eat the right foods in, in intermittent fasting. And I'm telling you, folks, you can be actually full and be healthy. It's amazing. Anyways, praise God. Benjamin, thank you so much. Um, you know, folks, this is the hour. It's, it's really the ball is in our court. Okay. The excuses are over. It's time to put on our big boy pants and big girl pants now and begin to do the right thing. Excuses are done. It's time to make a decision. I don't know what's holding you back. But the Lord has his arm outstretched, and it's never too short to save. If you feel God calling you, go with it. You're not beyond redemption. You're not beyond salvation. The Lord makes that call at the end of the age, and he is still saving people right now. So, folks, I want to encourage you. Come back to God. Get right. Get into the Word. Get into prayer. Fasting, praying, seeking with all your heart, and I guarantee you on the Word of God. Read Isaiah 58. Your life will change. God says, I can break every yoke. Stop saying that there's some sin you can't overcome. When God says, no, I can break every single yoke. Praise the Lord. Benjamin, thank you for everything, brother. Appreciate you. Love you. God bless you. And folks, please tune in next week to The Remnant Call. This is Brother Frank and Brother Benjamin The Remnant Call saying good night and shalom.